Broadcasting live from the Slaughtered Lamb Pub, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my werewolves, Mila and Louisa. Unfortunately, Taya can't be with us for this month's theme, but she'll be back for the next one. For Halloween, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite themes, werewolves. We are covering the 1981 horror comedy An American Werewolf in London, directed by John Landis, the 2001 coming-of-age teen angsty horror Ginger Snaps, directed by John Fawcett, and the 2017 horror fantasy Good Manners, directed by Juliana Rojas and Marco Dutra. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In an American werewolf in London, two young men backpack around the Yorkshire Moors. After being warded off by hostile locals in a creepy pub called The Slaughtered Lamb, they decide to hit the road on a full moon. One of the men, Jack, is attacked and killed by a wolf. The beast begins to attack David as well, but the locals shoot it before it can inflict a fatal injury. As the wolf dies, it morphs into a naked man. David wakes up in a London hospital to the doctor saying he was attacked by a lunatic. However, the zombified corpse of Jack appears and tells him that David is now a werewolf, and as long as the bloodline of the werewolf who attacked Jack lives on, Jack will be doomed to walk the earth forever. David initially rejects the claims and begins a relationship with his nurse Alex. However, he soon experiences a deadly transformation in a set loose around London. I'm going to the police. Jack was right. Jack is dead! Jack is dead and six people are dead. There's going to be a full moon tonight. I'm going to the cops. David, please be rational. Let's go to Dr. Hirsch. Yeah, be rational, sure. I'm a fucking werewolf, for Christ's sake. I watched this film on Amazon Prime. This is probably the first, one of the only times I've like paid attention to the interactive features that like overlay over the video if you pause it, like the cast... I was engrossed into like the general trivia that comes up and I thought I would share some of my favorites. <laughs> yes, please yeah. do. Wait, what movie were you watching? I was obviously watching this, <laughs> this one, funnily enough. You just said a movie. I was like, wow, you just discovered Amazon Prime. You want to tell us all about it? I love that you were going to entertain that. You were like, okay, hon. When they arrive and they're hitchhiking off the back of that sheep cart, it was like geography era it's said that they're in northern england when they arrive and like when they go into the pub everyone has yorkshire accents but the landscape is too mountainous to be in yorkshire and it was actually filmed in wales well that is interesting because i did actually think it was wales initially and then when i googled it it said yorkshire moors and i was like oh i wasn't paying attention to accents i'm a dummy i was like oh it just looked like wales I knew y'all were going to hit me with the UK specific knowledge for this one. I was like, I'm just going to sit back and not uh, look nothing up. You say that as if you don't sit back and not look nothing up for every up. But this specifically. So that initial like transformation scene took six days to complete, roughly 10 hours a day spent on applying the makeup, five hours on set, three hours of taking off the makeup, and then... It ended up being seven seconds on screen. And the special effects artist, Rick Baker, apparently was uh, not too pleased. It's so funny. Lacked screen time, great screen presence. I feel like we do not do good prosthetics anymore. Like we don't try, we just do CGI everything. And like, I just love a good like makeup monster, but I do think about how many hours and hours and hours it takes. Like I think 
I hear about that with like all the creatures on like Doctor Who take fuck all forever hours. I never watched Doctor Who, but I watched a makeup show recently where they had somebody from Doctor Who come on. That is a lost art, I feel like, because it takes so long and probably so much money for what ends up being seven seconds. I think it's so worth it. I mean, we always talk about this and how I love, one of the things I love about 80s horror is just the gore because I love how they do it. I think there's something like this kind of tangibility about it rather than like, the most like cool looking thing like cgi can create i kind of want that tangible i want someone to watch someone stick their hands in goo and pull it out you know what i'm saying oh my gosh i keep thinking about the fly this week recently it's been haunting me (laughs) the fly haunts me honestly that one has stuck with me of all of our bonus and normal episodes the other thing that would haunt me if i didn't repress it is the possession miscarriage scene which ty reminded me of the other day that she have not thought twice about that movie (laughs) since we've done I inflicted the trauma on all of you and I'm like that like made no dent in my personal life. It was traumatic. I'm so sorry. Well, I'm not really. So basically all of the songs in the soundtrack have the word moon in them. Van Morrison's moon dance is playing when they're like having sex. And then like the trivia thing popped up and apparently John Landis wanted three other songs to add to the soundtrack. So there was Cat Stevens' Moon Shadow, but apparently he didn't allow it to be in the film because he had recently converted to Islam and so he wasn't allowing like his secular music to be licensed to films. Bob Dylan wouldn't allow his version of Blue Moon to be in an R-rated film because he just started converting to Christianity at the time. And then he wanted like an Elvis Presley. It's literally Abraham conspiring against American Werewolf in London, all the religions. So at the end, the very end, in Piccadilly Circus when the werewolf is let loose, John Landis told some of the effects crew he wanted the head of Inspector Villiers to be thrown across the hood of a car. And the crew, who were all English, were confused by this. We don't call it the hood of a car, we call it the bonnet. Are you serious? I learn more silly things about your people every day. The bonnet? (laughs) (laughs) Your shit sounds made up, I'm sorry to say. I think that's it. I feel thoroughly regaled. Yeah, those were good fun facts. We should do more fun fact catch-ups, I think. The Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram, so please go leave us a comment or write us a little message. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Honeymoon Midnight, who commented on our Bodies, Bodies, Bodies post and said, Hell yeah, I've been waiting weeks. Flame emoji, flame emoji. God bless our listeners for their patience. (laughs) However, I also kind of delight in that there are people out there who are like waiting for the app on a new movie to drop because we do so enjoy doing movies in real time. We're trying to do more of it. So thank you for letting us be your film club friends for when you see a new movie. Also, I did stalk your Instagram and you have stunning photos. Like, if I happen to click on anyone random, like, if we get a follow notification, everyone is so gorgeous and talented. (laughs) I was like, wow. Very cool. Very cool group of people. Maybe someday we'll all meet up and have a potluck. Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that, plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. So I had 
some fun facts as well. Some of them are not exactly fun. Some of them are just actually, in fact, they're just facts. <laughs> let's, let's lower our expectations. Just that Landis wrote the first draft of this in 1967 and then was just sitting on it for a decade. Rick Baker won the inaugural Oscar for best makeup for it. So they did that werewolf transformation scene, which has become like iconic and is apparently one of like the most referenced transformation werewolf scenes in cinema. He did it by using syringes and pumping into small plungers within plastic pieces to cause David's hands, feet and face to elongate in separate shots. Hair was filmed backwards as if it was ripping out from underneath a fleshy sheet, creating the image of hair growing up above skin. And at a certain point, poor actor David Norton was literally buried into the floor so that he has a four-legged body that could be built around him before the face changed. And that was all from David Crow, Den of Geek. But I just thought that is like, hats off to you, sir, because that is a lot of work. I wanted to kind of discuss the werewolf lore in this film i think in terms of like all the films we're going to discuss this month this one is the most traditional in terms of lore it's literally like full moon you get bitten or whatever you turn the next full moon and there's not really any twist on that it's what's on the tin is what you get in the film is there like a standard would you say werewolf lore cross most werewolf films all kind of have their variations but for the most part it's like the bite that gets you or sometimes it's inherited but for the most part what is it full moon bite maybe sometimes a silver bullet the transformation can take a a different amounts of time sometimes it's like okay full moon boom you're a werewolf instant and you had no symptoms up until that day and then sometimes it's like it takes like the week up until the full moon or like a period cycle yeah yeah why do you think An American Werewolf in London has become such a cult classic? Because actually, like, people like Roger Ebert were, like, very underwhelmed when it came out. He only gave it two stars. But since then, I feel like this is one of the most referenced werewolf films. I think that comparing it to, like, you know how we watch Halloween and we were all kind of like, eh? Friday the 13th, Halloween for me, were, like, both equally disappointing and quite, like, drab. Well, shots fired. But then... Like, I think that even if you don't watch something in the time that it's become a cult classic, you can still like sense what makes it special. And for this film, I did. I think that we've already talked about how the special effects were amazing. And I think that just like the comedy of the film, like it's funny, it's scary. It's also a great sort of semi-parody of England through the eyes of Americans, which I think they like. I don't know, they hit the nail on the head a lot with the small local pub up in Yorkshire. All the characters just like, they were all sort of idiosyncratic and funny and charming. On that, someone highlighted the part about the businessman in the London Tunnel or something when he's like, we're not amused. We're not amused by that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) David and Jack, like their chemistry, there's like five, 10 minutes of them together. I was like, they have been friends for their whole lives. It felt like a buddy road movie at the beginning. And when Jack is killed, I was like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm somewhat touched by his death so early on. I don't know. It's quite charming and it's like goofiness because it's not camp at all because it's so self-aware and it like it knows what it's about and it does it really well, I think. And like, I don't think I like ha-ha laughed out loud, but I did find like the recurring zombie thing to be just like 
so delightful. I'm like, what the fuck is up? He's like actively rotting and he's just like, he's just chilling. He's like, hey man, I think you just need to take this thing seriously. I don't know. Yeah, that whole premise is like totally how we would talk about a scenario like this. Yeah, like Mila appears and says like, actually, you should just kill yourself. (laughs) I can definitely see that happening. And that is exactly what you'd say. Wow, guys. (laughs) It's good to hear that. But it's true. I think they balance the sort of like American. There's a bit of like the American, like, I don't even know how to describe it. American and like zest to it. Do Americans have zest? What is it? You know, like Americans are just like chipper. I don't know. Like English people being like either chronically depressed or indifferent. Y'all just don't get enough sun. That's true. And I like that contrast in the film. It kind of felt like Monty Python-y. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I was actually thinking, obviously this is 1981. So probably they filmed it late 70s if I had, I don't know that for a fact, but it felt more 70s for sure than like 80s aesthetic. So I could see why you would think you would get Monty Python um, from it. I don't know. I think like, listen, I just found the guys annoying. I feel like this is a problem where I'm just like projecting into a situation and I'm just like, you... Wait, both of them, both of the two yeah, guys. Yeah, both fucking irritating. I know. I'm so, I'm so annoying. I can literally hear everyone being like, why do you have to criticize every film with men in it? I don't know. The lad banter is annoying. Like at the beginning, he's talking about someone like Debbie Debbie Big Tits. I, I don't think that's what they say, but like <laughs> Debbie Big Tits. That's essentially like the the way they're talking about this poor woman. And he's like, oh yeah, she has no choice about like having sex with him because he's like gonna he's gonna get her, you know, he's gonna woo her. And I was like, what? And then he also says like, there's nothing dull about that body. And I'm just like, oh god, I hate this. I'm gonna say it felt harmless, and people are gonna be like, there are you know different severities of misogynistic behavior yes 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 but was it not supposed to be like a parody of those kind of guys too it's just it's true to what they were talking about and it never crosses the line into completely disgusting i don't know maybe your line is your threshold's a lot um higher mine's a lot lower you said where are your morals a more serious response to that would be that I would kind of agree with that if I didn't think that the women in this film were like so ridiculously shallow in terms of portrayal. I forgot there were women in this film. She is also said to have like immediately, like Jack, when he comes back as a zombie, he's like, oh, Debbie went to my funeral. And guess what? She found comfort in the arms of like this jerk guy. And I'm like, poor Debbie, like exists solely to just sleep around in this film in the background narrative. And then the other thing was Nurse Alex. Honestly, she had a delusional lack of intuition. This man fully told her he was suffering from like visions. And she was like, oh, lol. It was giving like, it it was giving some sort of complex. She was just unquestioning about every red flag. Also, like, what are the ages here? She felt like a lot older than him. Well, he was supposed to be, like, a student. Jack and David were supposed to be students, and I was like, uh, I hope you mean, like, second master's or PhD students, because there's just no way these are teens. Zeba, I want you specifically to talk about the connection between nudity and violence, because I feel like it's your favorite point to talk about the connection between sex and violence, and it is very clear in this film. I just think it is really so bizarre that people used to watch porn in a theater. With each other. I think I was so caught up on that that I didn't even like absorb the massacre that was about to happen or that already happened. I was just like, this is, what do you even, what do you, 
do you not touch yourself? What is the rules here? Then you're like really turned on, but like there's no like physical output of that. I think people definitely did just jack it in the movie theater and everyone just averted their gaze. I think that had to be the case. I didn't read this as like the violence came to punish people because they were perverts. I don't know why he walked into that movie theater, quite frankly, on the verge of transformation. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. A place of refuge. We talked about in Baccarat how it was the sex there was very incidental and separate from the core of the horror. But in this film, it adds to the comedy or absurdity of the film. What did you guys think of the ending? I thought it was fucking wild that it just like cut like that. I felt that way about all the movies were doing this time actually. I thought they all cut in fucking insane places because like it's hard to resolve a werewolf movie I think. I think that's why a lot of them end in this like very suspenseful place. How can werewolves integrate into society happily? Simply they can't so they die and then you're left bereaved and no time to like mourn that situation. Simply they can't. Pat Reed for Empire Online like basically kind of thought this was like an example of where the horror and haha don't blend well. For example, the sight of an anguished gutter weeping for David shot by police marksmen is immediately followed by the Marcel's Ramalama version of Blue Moon. As if to say, it's all right, folks, it was only a movie. And they kind of say that kind of doesn't land. I think it did land because I, contrary to that um, writer, because I was like, I was just so shocked by it. I was like, are we done? Are we finished? Yeah, I don't know. I think you do root. Mm, do I root for him? Maybe not. How did I want it to end then? Because I don't actually think... I think it's more just because it subverted my expectation of what I thought it would end. It wasn't so much I was like, invested in necessarily them resolving it peacefully. Honestly, I was more like, Jack deserves his happy ending than Mr. Webb. What's his name? David. Jack the misogynist. Sure. I had one more thing about the ending. That Roger Ebert basically said that the film seems curiously unfinished as if director John Landis spent all his energy on the spectacular set pieces and didn't want to bother with things like transitions, character development, or an ending. And I was like, wow. I think that applies a little bit to the ending. Yeah. Yeah. So in the mid-2000s when this film was like made into HD for DVDs, John Landis rewatched it and said that he was shocked by how gory it seemed. How interesting. I I would think that like making old horror movies HD would make it seem like the special effects seem faker and like harder to like obscure, but I guess not. I saw a tweet about the new Halloween film comparing a shot that's like very similar to one of the, the shots in the original movie, how like the art of film lighting has kind of been lost. But I do think things getting more and more like high resolution has kind of ruined a lot of movie making because it looks so almost flat. There's no like texture. There's no lighting tone to it. When you think of a Spielberg sci-fi, there's kind of an art in what you can't see, right? And like crafting that in such a way and giving the screen that kind of depth. So yeah, I do kind of get what you mean. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out.